isn't it about time for somebody's favorite radio program? Welcome to Worldview from WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. Happy Earth Day. Today is the day when we play the Earth Day Quiz, and we hope that you will call in and get quizzed on environmental issues. The number is 312-923-9239. That's 312-923-WBEZ. Call in and play the Earth Day Quiz. With me to ask you the hard questions about environmentalism is Kim Wasserman, Executive Director of the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization. She won the 2013 Goldman Environmental Prize for her role in the 10-year campaign to close the Fisk and Crawford coal plants in Chicago. How are you, Kim? Great I'm to see you. Well. Happy Earth Day. Thank you for having me again. Happy to Earth Day. I'm so glad to have you. And I am glad to have Howard Lerner as well, President and Executive Director of the Environmental Law and Policy Center here with me, as he has been since the dawn of broadcasting on Earth Day. <laughs> Thank you, Howard, for joining us again. Good to join you, Jerome. Happy How- Earth Day. Howard, your organization getting all fun and everything. You've got uh, pints for the planet today. Hey, we're really serious folks, but serious folks got to have fun too, right? Pints for the planet. This is wonderful. We have about 15 bars who are working together with us. If you go in, you have a drink, have a beer, have a couple with your friends. Uh, the, The bars kick in some money for us so we can help protect the planet. So pints for the planet. Take a look on the website, Pints for the Planet, and uh, please join us. Have fun. See your friends. And uh, host one, you know, clean water makes better beer. I think you're well... (laughs) Another drink. I think you're well positioned to uh, do this because most people have had their Earth Day things over the weekend or the previous weekend because people were trying to avoid the holidays over the weekend. So um, I think you're well positioned to do well. Thank you. Kim, I wanted to ask you a quick question about aldermanic change in your area. The 22nd and the 25th aldermanic wards saw change for the first time in decades. Very exciting. We're very excited um, in a hope that it's a new day, literally and figuratively, for the southwest side of Chicago. Who won? Uh, Mike Rodriguez um, won in Little Village, and it was very exciting. We had our first aldermanic uh, debate for the first time in over 20 years in Little Village, and it was hosted by a woman, which was great. Um, But also, more importantly, environmental justice was front and center um, at the debate. So for our neighborhood that's been fighting for environmental justice for over 20 years, it was very exciting to have aldermen who actually represent and understand what we're fighting for in the neighborhood. So did they have anything to say about all this (laughs) land where these coal plants used to be? Absolutely. Um, We're really excited to know that um, our new incoming alderman has concerns about what's being proposed on the old coal power plants and really wants to see more movement from Hilco um, in regards to air and, quality. And Hilco is making a distribution center Correct. with lots of trucks. and A one million square foot distribution center, some, nothing that we've ever seen in Chicago before, with over 300 to 500 trucks per day coming through Pulaski and I-55. Wow, that would be something. Yes, it would be something we don't want, absolutely, <laughs> in the neighborhood. Well, uh, we will talk more about that as we go on with the program, but we want to jump right into some questions. And the number, once again, to play the Earth Day quiz is 312-923-9239. That's 312-923-WBEZ. And Sarah is on the line with us, and she's in Zion. Great to talk with you, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much. I remember this was really hard the last time I heard it. Oh, yeah. It's going to be grueling. Just (laughs) hang on to your chair there. Uh, Howard's going to ask you the first question. All right, Sarah, ready to go? We're talking about Earth Day history here. It's going to be fun. History. Wisconsin Senator Gaylord Nelson first conceived Earth Day when, A, 
He witnessed an oil spill from an airplane off the coast of California. B, he went on a birthday hike with his seven-year-old grandson who asked him if the earth had a birthday. C, he wanted to build momentum for the clean air and the clean water acts. Uh-oh. I remember reading about this one. I'm going with A. You got it. Uh, Wisconsin Senator Gaylord Nelson saw an 800-square-mile oil spill off the coast of Santa Barbara, and he thought about creating an environmental teach-in like the teach-ins that were popular at the time. He didn't want to be in charge of it, so he invited a very good guy named Dennis Hayes to get it moving, and Dennis was a key mover on Earth Day. And Earth Day is something that's kind of awesome because it was conceptualized as something where you can celebrate in any way you want and bring your own thing, and it has a grassroots thing. You know, different people do different things. Some go to clean up rivers. Some redo a lot of recycling and buildings, and they clean up roads. Uh, Some people go out, and they do renewable energy projects. So it's a real grassroots, community-based teaching and different things in different places. All of us think about Earth Day as a special day, but as we all keep saying, every day should be Earth Day. All right. We go on to question number two for you, Sarah, and uh, Kim is going to read it. It's kind of hard to read because it's a quote. Okay. Here we go. Gaylord Nelson famously said, the wealth of a nation is, A, only as great as the health of its environment, B, It's air, water, soil, forest, minerals, rivers, lakes, oceans, scenic beauty, wildlife habitats, and biodiversity. That's all there is. Or C, not worth a damn if you can't breathe the air, drink the water, and plant the soil. I don't know. B or C? B. B. You you did it again. The full quote is, the wealth of the nation is its air, water, soil, forests, minerals, rivers, lakes, oceans, scenic beauty, wildlife habitats, and biodiversity. That is all there is. That's the whole economy. That's where all the economic activity and jobs come from. These biological systems are sustaining wealth of the world. Yay. Absolutely. You're doing terrifically. We were we we're hoping, you know, if you get two out of three, you're winning. So you're you're winning. You're doing pretty good. <laughs> but here's your third question anyway, Sarah. Okay. In the last few years, what are some of the things that President Trump has either ordered or threatened to be deregulated? A, so-called bomb trains that carry highly volatile liquid natural gas by rail. B, measures that have cut 85% of toxic mercury emissions from America's coal power plants. C, measures that limit coal mining on public land cap and cap methane leaks from oil drilling. Or D, all of the above. Which one of I those? that's got to be D. D is correct. All that is going on. Howard, how do you explain that, all that, all that deregulation with stuff. He's clearly not listening to the people. He's listening to a few of his people. The fact of the matter is there's an old Marx Brothers movie and Groucho Marx sings the song, whatever it is, I'm against it. What you're seeing here is with President Trump, whatever President Obama did, whatever's being done to protect the environment, he's against it. Okay. 
We're going to move on to a section of calls about the Great Lakes. And Sarah, you did great. You got all three Yay. questions. Yay. And you are going to get some WBEZ swag. And from oh, the wow. swag grab bag room of undefined, it could be something like socks or cups or ceramics cool or tote bags, you know, the usual stuff. We're going to grab something out of there and send it to you. Thanks very much for joining us, Sarah. And and your knowledge was awesome. Congratulations. It was luck. Sure luck. Ah, <laughs> but good going. Thank you. All right. We go next for our Great Lakes section to Elizabeth from uh, Prairie Path, Wisconsin. Is it, Elizabeth? Pleasant Prairie. Uh, Pleasant Prairie. That's it. Where is that? It is, um, if you've heard of the Jelly Belly Factory, that's our biggest Oh, the Jelly Belly Factory. That's where (laughs) Pleasant... It's pleasant to live near. There you go. (laughs) Right over the Illinois border. Right across. Jelly beans are an original prairie plant, aren't they? (laughs) You get lollipops out of them. That's what our communications director says. All right. We've got a section here on the Great Lakes, and Howard knows all about this because he did this – his organization did this snappy report on the Great Lakes recently. It's a great report. 18 leading scientists from the Midwestern universities in Canada did a state-of-the-science report assessing the impact of climate change on the Great Lakes. They said there are a lot of problems, and whenever we identify problems, we identify solutions. So we stepped up with policy solutions. So here's some questions on the Great Lakes. The head of the U.S. EPA recently gave an interview to Reuters, and in that, he reiterated his belief on climate change. He said it's man-made. But he also said it's not the country's top environmental problem. So what does EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler think is our biggest environmental issue? A, clean air. B, mass extinction. C, too much environmental regulation. D, clean water. Clean air, mass extinction, too much regulation, clean water. What do you think? Mm, That's a tough one. Um, From anything I've learned about Andrew Wheeler, I'm going to have to go with C. Hey, I'm not in charge of sound effects, all right? (laughs) Good one, Justin. No, he said clean water. And uh, let's talk about why, but go ahead, Jerome. Yeah, um, you know, I think most people would be surprised to find out that 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 question was kind of tough because Andrew Wheeler has a long track record, though, and he said it in this Reuters interview of thinking that water is the biggest problem. Lots of people die from waterborne diseases all the time, and he thinks that is a higher priority. Well, you put yourself in the shoes of Andrew Wheeler. He worked for the coal industry when he was in legal practice. He was their lobbyist. So he's not going to talk about clean air. Okay? He can't do that. He knows how popular safe, clean drinking water is in the Great Lakes states in the Midwest. President Trump won his reelection by 78,000 votes in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, three Great Lakes states. And protecting the Great Lakes, protecting clean, safe drinking water is a 90-10 issue. But then once you get past the rhetoric, you've got to say, what are they actually doing? All right, clean water is a priority. But the new budget from the administration would fund EPA clean water programs 61% of the current levels. In other words, 40% cut. We had that weird stuff where the president was went to Michigan and said that he didn't acted <clears throat> like it wasn't his administration zeroing out the Great Lakes uh, money every year. You know, sometimes you just have to say, what the heck? So three years in a row, President Trump's budget is either cut to zero or cut by 90%. 
the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, a wildly popular program. Republicans support, Democrats support it. It's bipartisan. It's not even partisan. It's nonpartisan. And every year, Congress puts the money back in. You know, Republicans and Democrats together, House and Senate, they all get it done. Once again this year, they cut it by 90%. President Trump is in Grand Rapids, and he's asked what he thinks about it. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I support this program, full funding of this program. You know, I'll take the win. Let's get it done. Let's support it. It's crazy. Let's clean up the Great Lakes. But why do we have to go through this charade with him on this? If you support safe, clean drinking water, you support the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, you support the federal clean water rule, you don't want to loosen up regulations on coal ash, you don't want to cut the federal clean water budget, you don't want to cut protection when it comes to toxics going into water or mercury going into water. But that's what this president is doing. Look at what they do, not at what he says. Let's go on to the next question. And Kim, why don't you take a whack at this one? Okay. Toxic algae blooms. Great. Like the one that happened in Lake Erie near Cedar Point and Toledo, Ohio in 2011, kept clean water from half a million people. Fishing and tourism bring a lot of economic stimulation to the Great Lakes region. How much annual economic activity would be lost if those kinds of environmental effects spread throughout the Great Lakes? Is it A, $29 billion or the net worth of the Pritzker family? Is it B, $10 billion or the annual net income of Amazon? Is it C, $23 billion or roughly the GDP of Iceland? Or is it D, $1.2 million or roughly the cost of 10 F- Billion. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry, 10, 10, $1.2 billion or roughly the cost of 10 F-35 fighter jets? Which do you think it is? Hmm, these are some interesting comparisons. I like them. Um. <laughs> Just a frame of reference. Pritzker, <laughs> Amazon, no, I like Iceland, or fighter jets? <laughs> <laughs> I, I see them all connecting together somehow. <laughs> I kind of feel like Sarah took up all the luck. I'm happy for her, definitely. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, the GDP of Iceland. Yes! Whoa! A nice shot there. I thought that one was buried. Number questions are murder. Um, it is true. The Great Lakes region will lose $23 billion of boating and tourism annually if climate change were to permanently affect the water. Gosh, Howard. You know, it's remarkable. The question, you know, talked about Cedar Point. Just think about this in practical terms. In Toledo in the summer of 2014, half a million people were without safe drinking water from their, you know, local water supply for 72 hours. The National Guard was trucking in water. Cedar Point, I don't know if you all have been there. That's mm-hmm. this great amusement, amusement park, park. Yep. right, by Sandusky. It employs every 16- to 25-year-old person within a 40-mile radius. If they don't have safe drinking water there, they're not going to be a whole lot of people to go to Cedar Point for the wonderful amusement park and the, the great rides and so forth. You know, this isn't a, well, it's okay if we have a little bit of problems. We need to clean this up and clean it up now. Safe, clean drinking water for everybody. Basic human right, basic civil right, basic environmental right. All right, Elizabeth, you've gotten a one out of two, and this will be your tiebreaker question, and I will give it to you right now. It is um, about about um, kind of the reputation of things. 
Uh, a 2018 U.S.-Canada Joint Commission poll gauged concern state-by-state state and province-by-province province about the health of the Great Lakes. Which of the following states or provinces polled lowest in concern for clean water and health of the Great Lakes? Was it Ontario, Indiana, Minnesota, or Michigan? Which 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 one of those entities has the least concern for the Great Lakes? Um, Ontario, Indiana, Michigan, or Minnesota? Yep. Hmm. I think I'm going to, no offense to all the Hoosiers, I think I'm going to say Indiana. <laughs> no, 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 no. You would think so. I, that, I can certainly see your logic on that. It doesn't have a whole lot of coastline. There's a lot of not, but actually it was Ontario with 12% of respondents reporting high concern for the Great Lakes and access to clean water. Almost all the other places polled higher. Michigan was 35%. Illinois was 29%. Uh, Indiana was 18%, so they were close to as close to Ontario, but not not as bad as Ontario. Uh, Ontario's got a lot of nuclear plants alongside the lake, and they've got some they got some interesting stuff going on. Ontario's got a lot of challenges. You know, it's the economic engine of Canada. Um, Ontario, you're dealing with the Great Lakes there. There should be as much concern in Ontario as there is here in the United States, and we got to figure out what's going on. All right, Elizabeth, you got one out of three. But in our book, that you're good enough, and we will send you some BitWBEZ swag. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot for joining us and joining the Earth Day Quiz. If you want to play, you can call us at 312-923-9239, and you can play the Earth Day Quiz with Kim Wasserman from the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization and Howard Lerner from the Environmental Law and Policy Center. I'm Jerome McDonald, and you're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. We'll be back after the break. From the fountains and the mountains comes the water running cool and clear and blue. And it flows down from the hills and it goes down to the towns and passes through. When it gets down to the cities, then the water turns into a dirty gray. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. Happy Earth Day. We are having our annual Earth Day quiz today. And with me is Howard Lerner from the Environmental Law and Policy Center and Kim Wasserman, Executive Director of the Little Village Environmental Organization. Our next questions are about environmental justice. And Kim is going to get us started with with some stuff about bikes. Sounds good. All right. First question. Oh, I need a caller. I'm sorry. Nolan, are you with me? Yes. <laughs> you are the next player. And Kim is going to start reading you this question. All right, Nolan, you ready? Yep. Here we go. More bike lanes usually sound like a good idea. But for some residents, creating bike lanes or pedestrian paths along the Chicago Sanitary and Ship Canal in Little Village might not be a good idea. Why? Is it option A, more buses are the priority there? B, Concerns about physical safety, C, concerns about air quality, or D, that space is zoned for manufacturing and could create good jobs? Uh, manufacturing. 
What's going on, Kim? So actually the concern is air quality. Um, it's in the name itself, the Chicago, Chicago Sanitary and Ship Canal. It's a canal that was made specifically for shipping and for industrial use. Currently, there's a lot of industry there, and we think putting a pathway or a bike path near that without environmental or health considerations is a bad idea for our residents, who already suffer from the worst, second worst air quality in the state of Illinois. Didn't it get better, though, after you cut all, shut all those coal plants? It did for a little while, but then the influx of diesel trucks started coming in, and all that great air quality went down the same toilet that was flushed earlier. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. That is a, that's really not that's not the win win you want. Not only that, it's not it's not the win that we wanted, but we are also seeing a lack of conversation around what happens with black and brown bikers in the city of Chicago who have been found to be ticketed more, arrested more than their white counterparts biking in the city of Chicago. So until we start having real racial equity conversations around biking and paths and development, these things are going to continue to butt heads with each other. I was. No, I know you had a um, conversation with an author who's writing about um, environmental justice issues and transportation. And she and some of the people there were making comments. And one called um, "divvy gentrification bikes." Correct. And so there's like a kind of a reputational thing that is undesirable. Absolutely. I think when folks think about biking, they only think about it from their perspective and they don't think about what it is to be a person of color in the city of Chicago, much less a person of color who perhaps is undocumented. When we think safety, we're thinking not biking near the cops. When we're thinking safety, it's not going by the police stations. When other folks think of safety, they're thinking, I want police. I want to bike by a police station. And so everything starts from understanding where the person who uses it is coming from versus the person the city would ideally, at the end of the day, like to see using. On a scale of 1 to 10, where are we on something like that? Having a conversation around racial equity? I hope getting closer to 10 than where we were with the one with our former administration. I think the reality is I think the city – I think we as constituents in the city continue to need to put pressure on this new mayor to push for these conversations across all city departments. All right. You are 0 for 1, Nolan, and we go on to the second environmental justice question – um, Howard, take this this monster. Whoa, this is going to require a lot of talking, but stay with me. Which of the following stories of sacred sites demolished or desecrated by energy companies in the last three years is not true? Okay. A, a 19th century Catholic cathedral in Germany was bulldozed and its cemetery disinterred to expand a coal mine. B, an aboriginal group in Australia had their ancient stone and tree carvings, as well as an entire sacred mountain dynamited by a Chinese coal company. C, a church in Panama was bulldozed as activists protesting a dam to power the country's copper mines camped around it. And D, access to ancient Navajo building complexes in New Mexico has been compromised with increased oil drilling since President Trump rescinded national park protections in 2017. So which of the four is not true, which means that three of them, unfortunately, are true? I'm going to go with the church in Germany. You would think. 
That one was such a, a sucker answer, but it actually did happen that uh, a, a, a church was bulldozed uh, to expand a coal mine. They actually bought out the whole town and bulldozed the town, the, the church, uh, for a coal mine. And, and wow. that's in Germany, of course, where you think, oh, they've got a lot of uh, renewable energy and they're, they're really nice. But, but actually, yeah, was the um, B, the aboriginal group in Australia – that had their ancient uh, stone and tree carvings dynamited by a Chinese coal company. But that's almost true because there's a pending lawsuit that is keeping that from happening on cultural preservation, but it's hanging by a thread. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So that is a bad scene. Absolutely. Gosh, Nolan, you're 0 for 2. Shucks. All right. Give him a chance to, you know, like (laughs) one out of three isn't bad if you're a baseball player, right? One out of three, that's 333. You might or, win some swag. You might yeah, get Yeah, you're something. doing pretty well. It's all on the last question. All right, here's the last question. Just this month, the governors of Illinois, Michigan, and Minnesota and Wisconsin gathered to discuss regional cooperation on what? Pipeline expansion, climate change, clean water, or economic growth? Clean water. All Great Lakes. <laughs> Wow. Kim was there. What was going on? Climate change. Thankfully enough, with a new transition of governors um, and lots more cooperation, I think, across the states, um, folks came together to really talk about not just what does environmental cooperation across these states look like, but what does it look like, again, with a racial and equity lens that includes frontline communities being part of the conversation. So all these governors have... um come into office and they all are part of the U.S. Climate Alliance and are, want to observe the Paris Accords. Correct. Correct. And we're there to say that's great, plus including frontline grassroots communities that are feeling the impacts of these decisions the first. They need to be, we need to make sure that we're part of those conversations. And Illinois is doing pretty good at this with its legislation here. We're, we're kind of uh, out in front on that. Absolutely. And we're excited to potentially partner with other states to see what we can do to ensure communities are supported and not mm-hmm. hindered through this process. How, Howard, do you want to pipe in? Well, look what's happening here. Scott Walker was governor of Wisconsin for eight years and pretty much was a denier of climate change realities. Governor Tony Evers steps up and says, we need to act. We need to get stuff done. In Michigan, Governor Rick Snyder, not a denier, but certainly wasn't really stepping up on climate change. Governor Gretchen Whitmer comes in, says, this is a problem. We need to deal with it. Uh, Here in Illinois, um, I don't think that Governor Rauner said much about anything about climate change. He didn't deny it, but he didn't have much to say about it. Governor Pritzker stepping up and saying, we got to do something about it. And in Minnesota, Governor Walls and the predecessor, Governor Dayton, are both saying, this is the reality. Minnesota needs to step up and act. So you're now seeing a group of Midwestern governors uh, say, we got to get our arms around it. This spring, they're all dealing with budget. They're hiring new staff. They got lots of things that are their top, top priorities that they got to do. Watch them now start moving into climate change and a lot of the stuff that Kim was talking about before. It's one thing to say, look, I just became governor. I have to hire 50 new people for my cabinet to be directors of agencies. I've got to do a budget. I got to work out a progressive income tax here with Governor Pritzker. I got to work out the capital bill. You know, okay, till May, so be it. After the end of the legislative session, time to step up on climate change and let's really do something. All right. Now we've got your 0 for 3 there, Nolan and 
you know, that's very sad. But we're going to give you swag anyway Yay. because it's Earth Day and we're all happy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot for playing the game, Nolan. Next, we move to Janice. Janice, you're on WBEZ. Thank you. You are going to get questions that are by uh, – a couple were listener-generated at wbez.org slash worldview where we've got a little place where people can suggest stuff. And a WBEZ listener uh, named Kevin submitted this fact. Uh, CNN reports that Chicago is the most dangerous city in the U.S. for migrating birds. The Chicago Bird Collision Monitors has a lot of recommendations on how to prevent fatalities when birds fly into windows. Which of these is not a recommendation to help save (laughs) birds? All right. Um, Install a speaker on your roof that blasts the Queen discography at dusk and dawn. Smear soap on your windows. Install special ultraviolet windows that are visible to birds but not to humans. D, avoid putting house plants next to your windows. Or E, none of the above as they are all recommended options. Um, uh, is, is one of these supposed to be not what the... Yeah, one of these on? is not going to help the birds. Um, um, so it's Queen. I, I, I read that article in the Tribune. <laughs> uh, oh, you're you're <laughs> extremely close then. This must be extremely frustrating for you. It, it just didn't pop out of your mouth, the answer. Uh, but it's, it was, again, blasting Queen music, smearing soap on the windows, ultraviolet windows, um, putting house plants next to your windows. The first one. <laughs> blasting Queen is Where's Freddie Mercury when we need him? (laughs) There you go. You're one for one. uh, We've got another listener-generated question. Um, Kim, why don't you read this one? So this question was inspired by WBEZ listener named Kathy. Um, And she submitted her question. Kathy lives in Wisconsin. And she noticed that a lot of farmers use plastic to cover their fields and hay bales. Only 10% of farm plastics are currently recycled. Which of the following initiatives are trying to encourage more agricultural recycling? Is it A, a startup backed by Richard Branson, who is experimenting with converting farm waste, including plastic, into jet fuel? Is it B, a program at elementary schools that encourages children to make arts and crafts out of the discarded farm plastics? Is it C, companies that operate wind panels have been known to reuse farm plastics to cover windmills in severe weather? Or D, all of the above? I guess all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, Mr. Branson is a major investor in Agilix and is working with farmers on processing otherwise hard-to-recycle plastics because agriculture often uses um, plastic bags that are covered in soil and fertilizers and then unusable for recycling. So he thinks he may have found a way to put them into his jets. I, I don't think putting okay. – this doesn't sound like a great idea to me. This does not me. sound like a great idea to me either. You're spraying jet fuel that has uh, insecticides in it into the ozone? In, into the ozone. That, would, that doesn't sound good. I know we don't care much about you know jets spraying carbon into the ozone, but uh, it, it's a thing. Well, you know, actually we do. And the aviation industry is beginning to step up. 
Uh, one of the things is starting in 2020, the aviation industry globally is going to be looking to reduce their carbon footprint. You know, and with O'Hare here and, you know, Boeing, United, American, we want to make sure they step up and do what they're committed to do. I think that's a real opportunity. So they're not going to fly so many planes. So that would be the bigger conversation. Well, either not fly so many planes or make them far more efficient and use much more efficient fuels. Now, I don't know about this Agrilex stuff, but using fuels that pollute less and have less carbon, that's a step forward. All right. We're going to go on to another question, Janice. And Howard, mm-hmm. you haven't had a question yet. Janice, you can get this one, okay? <laughs> you can do it. In 2018, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, released a strategic planning document for the next four years. Which Hmm. of the following terms or concepts was mentioned in the document? A, keep in mind this is the Trump administration. A, global warming. B, rising sea levels. C, extreme weather events. D, none of the above. E, all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm supposed to pick what's not in the FEMA document. You got it. Or none of the above or all of the above. (laughs) Um, I don't even remember all the selections. Global warming, (laughs) rising sea levels, extreme weather events. Do you think the Trump administration is concerned about those (laughs) three things? (laughs) Yeah, they, they... are such deniers, I guess it probably is none. You got it, Janice. Thank you. If it makes you feel good. Man, that, that's great, Janice, because if you had not gotten it, it would have been O for the six. Well, that's a little help people. from our we, friends. We really that's needed right. some. Yes, we needed somebody to get one. <clears throat> um, Janice, you're going to get some WBEZ swag, some kind of ceramic, some kind of tote bag, some kind of thing from the WBEZ, uh, you know, thank you gift offerings. Thanks very much for playing with us, Janice. Thank you. And Kim Wasserman was our guest in 2015 at the United Methodist Women's Seminar. Yay! I bet she was great. (laughs) She was. Good. Thanks a lot for calling, Janice. Don't tell her if she wasn't. (laughs) We'll be back with more after the break. I'm Jerome McDonald, and you're listening to the Earth Day Quiz on WBEZ. And a swinging hot spot. Seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They paid paradise, put up a parking lot. They took all the trees, put them in a tree museum. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. We're playing the Earth Day Quiz. With me is Kim Wasserman, Executive Director of the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, and Howard Lerner, President and Executive Director of the Environmental Law and Policy Center. And we're going to get another caller on the line. And who should I talk to here? Rudy, you're on WBEZ. Hi, I'm here. Thanks for joining us. How are You're you? welcome. My how, pleasure. How much do you know about mass extinction? Uh, well, I mean, I know a little bit. Not a mass, not a huge mass, but some. <laughs> Good. Well, we're going to have a few questions about mass extinction. Earlier this okay. month, a group of climate change activists stripped down to their underwear in the British Parliament and glued their hands to the glass of the House of Commons Public Gallery. 
Last week, the same group blocked five iconic London locations. Hundreds of supporters got arrested. Uh, Their day of action on April 15th had nonviolent civil disobedience actions in dozens of cities around the world, including Chicago. They're still at it in London. The name of this organization is A, Extinction Rebellion, B, Spike Extinction, C, Anthropocene Justice, or D, Climate Revolt? A, Extinction Extinction Rebellion. Yes. Yeah. With us from Extinction Rebellion is Joe Phillips. He is Extinction Rebellion Chicago. Nice to meet you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jerome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You know, this organization seems to have come out of nowhere and is doing a whole lot in a hurry. Can you give us a little thumbnail sketch of what's going on here? Yeah, it's true. It's it's growing uh, like a like a wildfire. Um, actually, it started last about a year ago. So in just a short span of a year, like you said, in London, they're up to thousands and thousands of members. Uh, almost every country in the world has some kind of chapter in it. Uh, in the U.S., we have something like 40 uh, new chapters are growing uh, every day. So something like 40 or 50 chapters in the U.S. now. So it's spreading fast. Um, and it really started as a grassroots uh, movement that um, caught fire because people are generally kind of freaked out and want something to do about it. And there, there, I mean, the stuff about London, if people aren't following it, it is um, it's it's intense. And, and there's a lot of, uh, I mean, the London mayor seems very sympathetic, but also is kind of uh, getting a little annoyed and there's calls for him to move these people out and things. I think it's doing what they set out to do, which is uh, mass disruption. And that's through nonviolent civil disobedience. And nonviolence is really the key phrase there to make sure that everybody knows that what these activists are doing is peaceful. Um, it's nonviolent, but it's also very disruptive, and that's that's really the point. We're trying to disrupt the status quo because we look around us and we can clearly see that all this good work that people are doing, it's, it's not enough. What do you do in your everyday life, Joe? Well, uh, activism is now my second full-time job. <laughs> the rest of the time, I'm a teacher, um, and I do urban farming with children, so I teach them to grow food and, and how to... Uh, Take care of nature. I was listening to the um, uh, the podcast uh, with Mary Robinson. Um, I'm blanking out on the name of it. Uh, mm. it I'm a little behind on my podcast, it's, um, <laughs> but it's pretty good. And they sent someone out to the um, to to the, one of the Extinction Rebellion things, and they talked with a New York organizer who was an anthropologist who studies mass extinction, and that's why he got involved. Yeah. it's kind mm. of amazing. I think that's the amazing thing about the movement. You're seeing a really wide swath of demographics. I mean. Uh, you know, academics, lawyers, uh, physicians, uh, people on frontline communities for sure. And uh, that's really the key. We need a mass movement of uh, really all stripes to make it happen. Um, well, okay, let's get to the next question. And Joe is going to read this for you. Um, here's Joe reading the next question. All right. So myself and my Extinction Rebellion colleague, Ellen McManus, took what action during the week of rebellion last week? A, we locked ourselves to tar sands oil tanker train that had come from Alberta to Chicago in protest of Alberta's announcement to buy enough new rail cars to move 120,000 barrels of oil a day. Or B, we locked ourselves to the doors of the University Club of Chicago, where the Chevron-sponsored conference uh, held by the University of Chicago called Energy Forward was taking place. Or C, 
we chained ourselves to the front gates of BP's Whiting Refinery, the largest refinery of tar sands in the United States. What do you think the answer is there? What do you think Joe did last week? Well, I was hoping hoping for Joe to mention a non-Chicago location to narrow them down, but uh, they're all in <laughs> Chicago, what he said. So, uh, and I'm trying to think what I heard on the news. So, uh, gee, I, it's hard to say. I don't think I heard anything about being chained to the university club, but uh, I'm going to go with A, the oil bomb. I probably bombed. Hmm. Uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. What did <laughs> you do, Joe? Well, it was a good guess. But, uh, you know, in fact, the media, uh, major media isn't really covering these kinds of stories yet. But we did lock ourselves to the doors of the university club oh. uh, to physically block a, a fossil fuels conference. Woo-hoo. And this was something done by the Booth School at the University of Chicago? Hosted by the Booth School. And, you know, uh, this, is a, this comes after a long line of uh, attempts to petition the university to divest. They're almost uh, you know, now almost like $8 billion in fossil fuel holdings that um, many student groups have, have and faculty have been pushing for for years. And the um, the University of Chicago, though, has a policy that they don't do politics with their investment fund? Yeah, they say that they won't divest because for them it goes against their, uh, their political uh, bias uh, clauses, which I guess you could debate that all day. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. Um, let's do another extinction question. And uh, Kim, why don't you take the next one? Sure. Harvard political scientist Erica Chenoweth found using historical data that if a certain proportion of people within a society want social change, civil unrest is the most effective way to permanently win in the public policy arena. Wouldn't you know? If her theory holds up, how many Americans would need to engage in nonviolent civil disobedience to enact meaningful change on the environment? Is it A, 11 million people? or more than twice the number of people who participated in the 2017 Women's Marches nationwide? Is it B, a quarter million people, about the size of Martin Luther King's March on Washington? Is it C, seven million people, the population of the state of Indiana? Or is it D, one million people, about half the number of people who came to the March for Our Lives protest? How many people do you think have to march to make meaningful change? Well, I'm going to go for, with the greater amount. Going I don't with, know. That seems to be logical. You're going with A? Yeah, the 11 million. Yeah. Uh, I think I think you're doing a great job. <laughs> nice one. That yeah. is correct. That is absolutely correct. That is – so the rule of thumb is – the rule is about 3.5% of a population need to be on board with the civil unrest. Now, oh, I see. Yeah. Joe, Joe, one of the interesting things about mass extinction is that – or. Um, um, Extinction Rebellion is that um, there's a lot of brainy stuff like this that that's behind your strategy. Yeah, that's right. You know, we need 11 million people or in Chicago. It's something like 80,000 uh, people, right? Um, so those sound like huge numbers. But really we're talking about uh, we need people who are willing to risk arrest. That's for sure. But behind that goes a lot of research, a lot of safety concerns, a lot of training, know your history. And this takes – People from all talents, and that's really what we need right now. And there's also something you, – you guys do some thinking about the Overton principle. What's that? Right. So the Overton window is a concept that gets used a lot in these kinds of movements. And uh, I guess I can explain it simply by saying we just need to shift what's considered reasonable political dialogue. And right now it's 
pretty shifted to the right. If you've, even if you consider yourself a liberal or whatever, um, you're sort of within this relative window. And so with Extinction Rebellion and with other movements, we're trying to radically push it to the left so that when we talk about uh, ending emissions, like actually stopping emissions now, uh, it's not such a crazy thing to Absolutely. talk about, you know. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the other side has been doing this all the time. Right. The, the people who are, you know, climate deniers or whatever, they sure. seem to stretch the debate their way. Sure, and that's and and so that's really and you know, uh, surveys show that there's more people who feel like climate change is a problem. It's just a matter of how do you mobilize those people and, and give them a, a, a an outlet, right? All right. Howard's got the next question. We're going to move on and get a different caller. We'll thank Rudy, and he's done a great job. We're going to give him some WBEZ swag. And Betty, you are on the line with us now. Thank you for calling. Hey, Betty. Thank you for... Happy Earth Day. Thank you. Thank you. So one of those solutions to climate change involves renewable energy. So, okay, let's let's sort of get real here. How much renewable energy, solar power and wind energy, is currently produced in Illinois? A, half the power, about 90 million megawatt hours. B, 9%, which is about 20 million megawatt hours. That's about the amount of energy produced by Illinois' biggest nuclear plant. Or C, 7% of the total, around 13 million megawatt hours, or that be about enough to power the state of South Dakota. So half, 9%, or 7%? Half, 9%, or 7%. Uh, I would say 9 give, give the four of them to me again one more time. Okay. Sorry. Half? That's A. B is mm-hmm. 9%. C is 7%. How much renewable do we got in Illinois? Are you for... Uh, n- uh, 9%, unfortunately. Oh, it's even worse I'm than that. Loser. <laughs> You're not a loser, but it's 7%. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'll give you the good news, bad news for Earth Day. If we were sitting here five years ago... That 7% is a lot of growth. But, oh, my word, do we have a long way to go between 7% renewables and 100% renewables? And that's what we got to get to if we're going to solve our climate change problems. Uh, the, the, the 9% being just one nuclear power plant, that's kind of bracing, isn't it? It really is. It gives you a sense of the reality on it. But let me give you some good news, okay? 3,000 megawatts of solar panel, 3,000 megawatts of solar energy, that's what we're shooting for by 2022. Now, you you all look at it and say, what's a megawatt and all that? 3,000 megawatts of solar, 10 million panels. You know, we can get moving. That's a lot of jobs. That's a lot of communities getting solar. That's a lot of solar panels. So we need to move this one fast. All right, Betty, thanks very much for joining us. And we're going to give you some WBEZ swag after just one losing question. Um, I think in the last half hour, people got one right. It was a grueling Earth Day quiz. Um, I wanted, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe, I wanted to ask a little bit about the future of these movements. I, I've seen, you know, we see so much about the young children, school children who are striking. And I know there's another strike on May 3rd here. Um, and we saw uh, Greta herself at the Extinction right. Rebellion rally in London this yeah. weekend. 
Uh, are, is there a convergence here uh, that will happen or is it going on? Oh, for sure. And, and we, we're in solidarity with the children's, with the student strikes that are happening all over the world. And we've been there to support. And, and really, it's a student-led movement. We want them to have their own voice. But they're showing adults uh, how to do it. And they're the ones that are going to bear the brunt of these problems. Uh, their generations, children alive today right, are going to really feel the effects of the mass extinction that's happening right now. Um, and so there is a convergence. I think it's happening. It's very exciting to be a part of. We have no idea what the future holds, but we know that if we don't really come together and truly um, create disruptions in what's considered the status quo, and that comes from all ages and demographics, that's the only way we can do it. If people want more information about Extinction Rebellion, what do they do? Sure, we've got a website. It's uh, xrchicago.org, and uh, you can... Find all of our social media stuff there. All of our social media is also XR Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. And it was great to have you, Joe Phillips from Extinction Rebellion. Good luck in the future. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And Kim Wasserman has been here. She's executive director of the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization. What's the next big thing you you doing? What's the next big thing we have coming up? Um, We are going to be having our Wednesday dinner starting again at our community garden starting in May. So for community residents in Little Village who want to come out and have some great conversations, we invite you to join us. Oh, that sounds nice. Absolutely. Howard, your next biggest thing is... Pints for the planet tonight. Pints for the planet tonight. You know, clean water, better beer, and GL climate cities, GL climate change. We got to solve climate change problems for the Great Lakes. GL climate change. Howard Lerner is president and executive director of the Environmental Law and Policy Center. Thanks for joining us, all of you. And thank you for participating in the Earth Day quiz. Have a great Earth Day, and let's do everything we can for the environment. Worldview is produced by Steve Bynum and Julian Haida. Thanks to Jenny Friedland and Ashish Valentine for production assistance. And thanks to Mike Gilmore for all the engineering and sound effects today. Thank you, Mike. I'm Jerome McDonald. You've been listening to Worldview on WBEZ.